So, all right. Well, Father, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, just for your kindness, Lord, your goodness. I'm so thankful for my church family that we, we really have the privilege of coming together as your people and worshiping. And Lord, today as we talk about um, what is required for um, just reconciliation, restitution, fellowship must happen. So I pray that you would teach us the, uh, the reasonableness, the, the, the logicalness of all this. Uh, settle in our hearts and that we would be committed to your word in all things. And uh, so just be with us as we search the scriptures to know how all these things ought to be. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Well, um, this morning as we talk about, <clears throat> as soon as I clear my throat, so this particular subject, we, the goal is always, as you see on the, the screen there, we want people to be reconciled. We want people to come into the fellowship. But it, there are times when it, it just can't happen uh, for the sake of the body, for the glory of God and other things. So as I cover some of this, I don't want to come across as, um, how do I say this? I want to come across as firm uh, and with conviction, with determination. But in that, I don't want to sound mean or arrogant or any of those things. Um, you get it? Okay. Well, just behave, and then we don't ever have to, you know, I mean, goodness sakes, can we just all get along? <laughs> so last Sunday, we, we did, we entered into a study of the Ministry of Reconciliation from Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Um, but as we'll see, the, the Ministry of Reconciliation uh, can transition into the ministry of protection, preservation. Um, now, if you were absent last Sunday, I encourage you to uh, listen to the study so you can keep up with the rest of us. And, uh, and so you understand uh, Jesus' mode of operation, uh, which we do here at Calvary Chapel strive to follow. And, and trust me, it's not always easy to follow because, well, as you've noticed with many things, instruction can be cut and dry. But as soon as you hit the ground with it and the, the circumstances and context is jumbled up, it, it, it can be quite uh, challenging and maddening. And, uh, but we strive to do our best. But in that section of Matthew, Jesus provided the, the general instructions and kind of an outline, if you will, of how to address a sinning brother or sister with the intent of gaining their repentance that they might be restored to the fellowship with Christ and his people. But as he goes on, if the sinner refuses to repent to the point where they won't listen even to the church, Jesus requires that, they, that we exclude that person from the fellowship to the point where you know, someone is settled, they're resolute, and they're obstinate. Then preserving the purity and the unity of the church is Jesus' priority. His priority should be ours without a hint of compromise. We can err on the side of grace. Amen? We can but we can never err in compromise, and I believe there's a difference. We want to show grace to people uh, because we're optimistic about their repentance, about reconciliation, uh, but we can never compromise. I, as I mentioned last week, when we get to the epistles of Paul and Peter and John, the Holy Spirit then expands on Jesus' instruction, the instruction he gave in Matthew, to address the, the protocol for different kinds of sin and different kinds of sinners. Understand? He has to change it a little bit uh, because of different kinds of sins 
and different kinds of sinners. The degree or kind of sin gets treated differently, and the status or position of the sinner, they get treated differently, and for good reason. I mean, we know intuitively uh, that different sins should be treated differently. How many think that people uh, guilty of petty theft should be treated differently than those who murder people? Can I have a little bit more affirmation? Okay. Uh, We would never allow a known pedophile to work in the children's ministry, but we might allow someone who has a DUI in their past, right? I hope so, okay? Uh, The nature, the degree of sin changes things. Also, depending on the status or position of the sinner, their office, it will change the degree of tolerance that we show, okay? The laity of the church, that is, the laity are those who are not in spiritual leadership. They're going to be shown more grace. They ought to be shown than the pastors and elders when they sin. Uh, This, I think, that we know intuitively as well. Depending on the sin, uh, more patience, more grace will be shown to a brand new believer who is, you know, just getting acquainted with the faith than a pastor who clearly knows better and holds a position of influence authority. Both have sinned, but one is more accountable for their sin. Okay, for example, you know, it's one thing uh, for the laity to misinterpret the scriptures. It's altogether different when a pastor or elder manipulates the scriptures, the text of the word for their own benefit, or is simply just incompetent with the word of truth, right? Do you not expect a new believer to be fairly incompetent with the word of God? But if a man is in the pulpit and he's incompetent, it's just not okay. And if he uses the scriptures to manipulate things to his own benefit, he's a crook, okay? And he should be treated differently. We expect a seasoned surgeon to know his trade, and to be competent, okay? But we don't expect the same thing from a first-year med student, right? Yeah. James says this. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall, notice how he includes we, we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's from the Lord. So uh, not only should uh, we hold hold leaders to a higher standard, God does. He does. It's not simply what a teacher might teach, that could be hurtful to people. It's their conduct that can hurt people as well. When people have influenced sin, it has a greater potential to cause others to stumble, which is exactly what Jesus has been warning about in the section prior to the one that we've come to in Matthew 18. Remember? Stumbling, stumbling block, those things. Where? So depending on the sin and depending on who the sinner is, the motive operation is modified. And we're going to look at... Um, all of the pertinent passages for each, but we're not going to look at uh, sins among the leadership today. I'm going to have to save that for another day. Um, we'll get to it later. This morning, I want to consider um, a few different uh, people that become problems in the church. The first one is those who cause divisions by what they teach and those who cause offenses by enticing others to sin. Sound good? Sound bad, rather? Okay. The protocol for these kinds of people is essentially the same uh, because the, the potential results are similar, okay? They, we often end up with the same kind of mess. So let's begin in Romans 16, uh, verse 17. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, doctrine is instruction or teaching, which you learned and avoid them. Okay, and some of Paul's Final instructions to the church, he leaves them with this. Why? 
because the well-being, the, the purity, the unity of the church is essential to the glory of God and the safety of all of his people, okay? Theologically and morally. So he begins by urging them, I urge you. Divisions and offenses in the fellowship are a matter of serious concern to God and it should be a concern to us. So much so that Paul says to note them, uh, in the Greek it's skopeo, scope them out. <laughs> it means to spy on them. That sounds exciting. To beware of them, to keep your eye on them, take careful note of them, be on your guard. So Paul's saying, I'm urging you, do not take your eyes off of these people. Pay attention to what they're saying and to what they're doing. They're dangerous. Who are these people? What are they doing that's so concerning? Paul says they cause divisions and offenses. Okay? Those who are divisive, what they do is they, just, they bring disunity among those who agree who are in harmonious fellowship with one another. They, they divide brothers. They divide sisters. In what way would they do that? Well, in the context of the faith, our fellowship, our unity is founded, it's grounded on the truth of the gospel, okay, the teaching of the apostles, along with a particular code of conduct, all, all of which is found in the New Testament, Paul's writings and the other epistles. And our fellowship is is anchored to some very specific truths which they cannot be compromised. There are some truths that we, we just we cannot budge on. There are some other you know, peripheral or non-essential things that, that within the, the spectrum of what we call Christian orthodoxy, we can have some disagreement. It's fine. I, I know people in the church that we differ on some things, and we're still really good friends, okay? Um, but there's some things that cannot. Most essentially... Uh, it, that we cannot compromise are on the truths regarding the nature and identity of God. We don't budge on the Trinity. We cannot budge on the Trinity. That is who God is. If you do not believe in the Trinity, you do not believe in the God of the Bible. It, anything else is idolatry. It's a false religion. We, we don't budge on the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, that He came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. We don't budge on how or by what means God redeems humanity. It is by the gospel taught in the scriptures and nothing else. Or, and rather, we don't compromise on how it is that God calls us to live for him. The whole doctrine of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Those who would try and divide our unity by challenging, undermining, criticizing, or violating that which is most fundamental to our faith, they must be scopeo. We must keep an eye on them. We must listen to what they're saying. This also goes for those who would cause offenses among us. Now, this person who causes offenses is more of a uh, nefarious nature. Is it nefarious or nefarious? What did you say? Nefarious. Okay. Because the Greek word implies that they have an evil agenda. Offenses. The Greek word is scandalon, which basically means to set a trap. For it means to bait them. It means to throw something in their path to cause them to fall, to stumble. Okay. Their goal is to entice others to sin morally or to waver theologically because they want to harm them spiritually. Now, I will grant that a divisive person may think that they are right about a matter of theology or doctrine and believe that they are helping others come to the knowledge of the truth, albeit they do it in the wrong way. This cannot be said for the, the person that is causing offenses. Now, the divisive person who thinks they're right, and wants to help others come to the knowledge of it. They 
they become divisive initially because they go about it in the wrong way, okay? There happens to be a procedure. There, there's an ethic to addressing such things in the church. There is, just like there is in your family, fathers. You know this. So as a pastor, as an under-shepherd of Christ appointed to shepherd the flock of God here, um, I'm the gatekeeper of the fellowship. I'm the guardian of its doctrine and its theology. If someone in the fellowship believes that we're out of line in regard to the fundamentals of the faith and they're concerned for the well-being of the church, the right way to confront the issue is to come to me or one of the pastors or elders. I actually welcome it if there's differences. I want to talk with people. But they should never go to the laity. Just like someone should never go to your children and undermine you. If they have a problem with the, the way that the household is being run or the parenting, who do they need to come to? The father, if the father's present. If not, of course, the mother. And if they do come to address the issue through the proper channels, they better be able to articulate their position with extreme clarity from the text of the Scripture. Because I'll listen to no other source. I'll share a secret with you. I am completely close-minded to any other source. Okay? Because the Scriptures are the final authority. The final authority. Um, I must conduct myself in a godly manner in these situations. I mean, Paul says this about pastors. He says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those in opposition. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25. If I am faithful to Christ, I will correct those in opposition. But if I am to represent the character of Christ, I have to do it with patience. So there's a standard of conduct when we enter into these kinds of conversations. Now, if the person cannot articulate their position from the scriptures, they must keep it to themselves. I, they can still fellowship here. They can still attend our services. But they are not permitted to share their, their shtick with the rest of the church. Okay? If they refuse to do that, Paul says they must be avoided. They must be excluded because of the danger they pose to others. They're already a danger to themselves. Now, if you hear someone undermining the, the leadership here in the church, you know, open, openly challenging our theology, uh, this is my counsel to you. Go to them, tell them, I'll give you 24 hours to tell the elders before I tell them. Fair enough? And if you are uncomfortable with telling them that, just come tell me, and I will conceal your name, and I'll go talk to them. And I'm not going to go and land blast. I'm going to say, hey, are you saying this? Are you teaching this in our home groups? Or, or do you know what I'm saying? And I'll just investigate and get to the bottom of it, and we'll go from there. Does that sound fair enough? If the testimony about them is true, and they won't stop, I will exclude them from the fellowship of the church. Because they are no longer a concerned person. They are now a person of concern uh, who's dividing the flock, and it has to go. Paul says, I marvel that you are turning so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. See, we, we do not let accursed people who pervert the gospel of Christ spread their perversion among us so that we can share in their fate. We don't do that, okay? That sort of gangrene must be cut out of the body and discarded before it destroys the body. It has to go. And that's exactly what was happening 
in the churches of Galatia. This false gospel was spreading through the churches. The people were biting onto it. And if you've read Galatians, you know Paul was, he was less than happy. About seven years ago, we had an individual uh, leading a, a, a small group of people in the church, spreading a conspiracy theory that certain church leaders, some of which they were saying in the Calvary Chapel movement, were reformed in their theology, that they were in it for the money, and that they were involved in the emergent church heresy. A lot of you are like, what in the world is that? Don't even care, okay? So I, I confronted the leader of it for three reasons. Um, first, he did not come to me before spreading it throughout the church. It was troubling people in the church. And third, it wasn't true. It wasn't true, okay? Our conversation went well. He agreed. He apologized. But the chatter, the chatter about the conspiracy continued, and it was causing problems in the church. One of the individuals in their little group, he lied to me, said he wasn't spreading it, and then got mad at me for thinking that he had, and then went and spread it to more people. He'd repeated it to at least 30 people. That's the 30 people that came to me, okay? You know, when multiple people come to me saying, hey, Pastor Ben, what's the emergent church? Why do you ask? Well, because so-and-so told me that uh, there are Calvary Chapel pastors who are becoming emergent. Oh, so-and-so told you that? 30 of you were told that? And then I go and confront the person who is saying it, and they get mad and say, I can't believe you would believe them over me. So I contacted the leader again and said that we needed to chat. He agreed and then declined because I was unreasonable. And so the little group left the church. Later on, I spoke with one of the, the followers, and they shared with me the danger that our church was in because of this conspiracy. And they told me that these leaders were reformed in their theology and emergent in their theology. I tried to explain that someone can't be reformed and emergent at the same time because they're mutually exclusive ideas about God and his word, more so than like water and oil. Like they're at war with one another, the two theology, okay? It didn't matter. They followed their leader into ignorance. And lo and behold, nothing materialized conspiracy because it was a joke. Reformed theology is what it's always been. And the emergent heresy was finally recognized for what it was, just repackaged theological liberalism that presented it. And all of those leaders they were accusing, they're still what they've always been, two different perspectives of the Christian faith within the spectrum of orthodoxy who did not deserve to be slandered. It was just completely crazy. So these troublemakers weren't causing division through false doctrine, but through bad information and slander. If they hadn't left the church when they did, they would have gotten disinvited. So I'm glad they saved me. As my pastor used to call it, it's blessed subtraction. It's what it is, okay? And since their departure, the church has grown in both numbers and maturity. And that's always been the trend. Whenever troublemakers, dangerous people exit our church, it seems like 10 wonderful people join our church, and, uh, and then the church has grown in strength. Funny how that happened. Now, when it comes to those who cause offenses, we're no longer talking about someone who could possibly be concerned, but they seek its harm. Like I said, this person is nefarious in nature. They, they want to cause people to stumble. They want to ruin the faith of others. And so the tolerance granted to the person who is in error, you know what I'm saying, who thinks they're right and is, thinks they're in the, in the right place for concern or of concern, that, that same tolerance isn't extended to the person who causes offenses. Anyone who seeks to harm the faith of others or 
pervert their conduct, they don't really get tolerance at all, okay? Not here at Calvary, uh, regardless if they're a part of the church or they're a stranger to it, and we've, we've had both. About five years ago, I, I gladly met in private with an atheist under the impression that he wanted to talk about our differences. Just like an, uh, he understand me and me understand him, but it turned out that his agenda was to speak to the whole congregation if I would permit it. Yeah, well, I, I appreciated that he came to me first, but of course I wouldn't let him speak to the congregation. His intention was to draw people away from the faith under the guise of open dialogue and the sharing of ideas. So I said goodbye, and I haven't seen him since. But this doesn't just happen by those outside the church. There's times when it happens within. And if it does, it really gets about the same amount of tolerance, which is very little. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 20. Uh, he's, he's passing through Ephesus. He calls the elders out of the city. He's in a hurry, so he doesn't want to get caught having to you know, eat dinner at everybody's house in Ephesus. He knows you'll never see them again. He says, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent to the blood of all men because I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, that is from out to in, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's not just a concerned person deeply for the well-being of God's people. He's also a prophet. Amen? They'll come in from without. They'll rise up from within. They will not spare the flock, and they will pervert people, and they'll draw them away to themselves. They'll try to destroy them. Okay? It's crazy. What is wrong with people? So why should we use such extreme prejudice with people of this nature? Well, Paul continues in Romans 16 and verse 18 saying, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. So first, these kinds of people, they're not in the service of the Lord, although they always come across as the hump God. I'm just concerned for you. you know what he's been teaching? Yes, it's live streamed every Sunday and Thursday. If you want to know my position on anything, just go to the live stream, go to the archive. You can find out everything I believe. Fair enough? So you know. If you don't know, it's your fault, okay? Because I be preaching all the time, all right? These people, they're contrary to the character of Christ and the calling he says they serve their own bellies, which is to say they're self-serving. Okay? To serve Christ is to deny oneself. But these people have only themselves in mind, and they enjoy causing problems. And by smooth words, he says, by flattering speech, they, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You see, those who intend to divide the flock, those who have an agenda to cause people to sin, they always go to those who are more vulnerable. They try to find those that are most uninformed, the young in faith, the young in age. And unless they're super arrogant, like the atheist that I met with, 
they seek an audience with the naive. They're usually cowards, and uh, they look for a soft target. They don't like they don't like to pick on people their own size. That's that's why I love these. That's sarcasm. Paul says to in 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 70, he says, Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, that is, our resurrection, and they overthrow the faith of some. Well, Philetus wasn't Hymenaeus' only partner in crime. They get, he gets addressed elsewhere. He says, Having faith in a good conscience, which some, having rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So these people have shipwrecked their own faith, and they want to overthrow the faith of others, the people that cause divisions, offenses in the church. And for this kind of evil conduct, Paul delivers them to Satan. What does that mean? Well, whatever spiritual protection there is by being in fellowship with the community of faith, it's removed by God when somebody is disfellowship. They're made subject to the one who seeks to devour them. So the point is, if, if your desire is to hurt the people of God, and you try to or you do, God will turn you over to be hurt by Satan, the idea there. Let's turn to Titus for a little bit more protocol. Paul says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies. I, I don't have to worry about you guys arguing about genealogies contentions and striving, strivings about the law, this does happen, uh, for they are unprofitable and useless. <clears throat> so like, like many other fellowships in the early church, the, the church in Crete, where Titus was pastoring, had challenges with those Jews who had professed faith, but then wanted Christians to keep the law of Moses. But the law of Moses, the, the covenant itself, is not compatible with the gospel, new covenant. These arguments in the church over the law of Moses came to head in Acts 15 when Jews from the church of Judea, they went out of their way to travel to Antioch in Syria, and uh, they were telling the brethren, that is the Gentile believers, that they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Well, Paul and Barnabas weren't going for it, so they brought the matter to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, was unanimously determined that the brethren do not have to be circumcised, and they do not have to keep the law of Moses. Not any of it. Well, some of the believing Jews did not agree. Okay? And out of that disagreement, a group developed known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers. These were the Jews that were following Paul everywhere around the Mediterranean world, and they were undermining, they were contradicting everything he taught even though it was in perfect accord with the Holy Spirit and the apostles. These men were determined to remove the grace of God as both the means of salvation and that of sanctification. They even sailed to Crete to spread their heresy. It's amazing the the zeal that these men had. So Paul told Titus, the pastor on the island, he said, disallow any arguments about the law and anything related. Okay? But what if somebody insists on arguing or pushing this legal mosaic agenda in the church? He says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So to reject means to excuse them, to, to turn them away, disinvite them. Okay, that's what it means. In Titus chapter 1, Paul teaches that the elders, the leaders of the church, Church must stop these people from talking. 
He said, whose mouths must be stopped? Well, how do you go about doing that? Duct tape their mouth? (laughs) You muzzle them? Well, as fun as that would be, it's just unfortunately not the way of Christ, okay? He's saying, don't give these people a platform to speak. Don't give them that opportunity. Don't allow that. And if after the first and second warning, these people refuse to be silent, they're to be turned away. Notice that these kinds of people are not given the three opportunities to repent like those in Matthew. Less tolerance, less grace. It's shown to those who cause divisions, offenses, or only twice if they violate <clears throat> the gag order. They're done, excluded. As Paul would say, they must be turned over to Satan. You see, the potential, as many of you know, the potential that division has to destroy the church is too great to let it linger. How many of you guys have been involved in a church split? Too many of you. And I believe that 99% of the time, they were instructing or executing the instruction of Paul that those things would have been stopped very, very early. Not every time, but it happens. But that kind of stuff is like a very contagious, deadly disease, like the bubonic plague that took a third of Europe's population. These people must be stopped. If the elders or myself fail to stop them, we should be forced to step down from positions because we have been commissioned by God to protect the flock. Now, I can't help people in our church do out there as a matter of their own free will. I can't like coerce you to stop engaging with people, but I, I will get involved as soon as, and I'll do my best to intercept people. But if the church leadership is not doing that, there's a serious problem. <clears throat> now, I'm so thankful for uh, my elders here at Calvary Chapel. They're the most gracious, unwavering I've ever served. And uh, erring on the side of grace is something they do, but compromises. I'm just so thankful for that. We've, we have dealt with perverts, pedophiles, heretics, and divisive. It's because of their leadership that I believe our church is, is healthy. It's unity and peace here. And so grateful. Um, also, I'm so grateful that over the years, our church as a whole has not tolerated people like this. I remember this one guy who came to our fellowship, and he was very anti-Semitic. He, he hated the Jews uh, and called himself a Christian. He was spreading all these lies about the Jews. And I think he made it one Sunday before the people of our church made him feel so unwelcome that he never came back. Good job. And <clears throat> later, I discovered that a friend of mine at uh, Mountain View Baptist had done the same thing because he had gone there and tried to, he was handing out a book. I don't know what it is with people handing out books. Uh, another example, another dude showed up here on a Sunday morning and he was challenging our understanding of the end times and saying that Calvary Chapel was leading people astray and he was handing out a book that was recently published to oppose us. That's kind of cool. And he had been rebuked by at least three people, different people within about 45 minutes of the service being over before he found me to report to me that the people of our church were very friendly. And, and when I asked him why he believed that, he shared with me his concerns about our theology, which he shared with others in the church who, um, yeah, he, he turned him away. So he thought you guys were rude because you wouldn't agree with him, okay? Uh, but I told him that here at Calvary Chapel, we... We adhere, we believe in the text of Scripture, not to some theological position. So he left me with a few insults, and then he walked off in a huff and uh, never saw him again. So, <clears throat> But all of these people were initially welcomed here, initially, but as soon as they started sowing discord or false doctrine, they got disinvited before they had a chance to, before I had a chance to even confront them. So thank you. Keep it up. I, I don't believe that I need to be involved in everything, okay? <clears throat> so in conclusion, 
because of the potential danger that division and offenses cause, less tolerance is shown from the instruction of the Scripture. Okay? We would love to see these people come to the knowledge of the truth and repent of their error. Some of them we do. Okay? That's, that's our initial mode of operation. But if they will not relent in what they're saying, if they will not repent, they must be rejected for the sake of the flock. Amen? And <clears throat> what's beautiful is when all of these things happen and nobody in the church knows because it was handled properly, quickly, and sometimes surgically. That's the way that it should happen. And uh, I'm thankful that it's happened now. Other times, though, people, I don't know what's wrong, but they have to publicize, push. It's just, it's nuts. So less tolerance is shown depending on what the sin. When I get back from my staycation, uh, we'll talk about the procedure for pastors and elders who fail theologically. Sound good? Sometimes it happens that the church has to be protected from bad leadership. And uh, you guys need to know the protocol for that. If it happens here, you can take out your scalpel and um, do what's right. Amen? All right, we'll stand up and we'll get you out of here. I think I'm getting, out, getting you out a little early. Um, oh, yeah. I could have gone to a couple more passages, but I didn't want to. You can find them yourself and study them. There's, there's a very um, peculiar consistency throughout the Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we would pray that we would never have difficult people here. Um, pray that I would never be difficult but my wife knows that that's not true, and uh, my children. But I do pray that, Lord, you would preserve us for your own glory, for your reputation, that uh, guard our purity in morality and in theology. And, Lord, when things arise that are out of our control, as far as what people might say or do, I just pray that you would grant us the wisdom and the grace to do our best to bring people to repentance and reconciliation. But if we're not, Lord, give us the strength to remove those that won't relent. Yeah, thank you for your instruction, Lord. And uh, we would be at sail without a compass if we didn't have your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.